0: At the end of all things, what will be said of Rockwall Press? What will we have done? How will we have lived? How will we have used the time that's been given to us? What does it really mean for a church to be successful? It's something I certainly think about all the time. But to find answers to those questions, we have to think corporately, and we don't typically do that, much more prone to thinking about the church individualistically. It's easy for us to think about this church as a collection of individuals, each with our own reasons for being here and ways we got here. Maybe we like the size, the teaching, the theology, the worship, the community, and those are all good things that we want you to like about this church. But at the same time, consumerism can condition us to think about church simply based on what it provides us and how it aligns with our preferences. We can think of the church as just being a provider of religious goods and services to us. And we can forget the mission that we have been given. That it's us, together, corporately, who are called to offer something to the world. The Great Commission is not where Jesus said, Go into all the world and find a church that fits all your preferences and priorities. Go and be served. The Great Commission is where Christ gave his people a mission It's not optional. It's not negotiable. It's not based on what you think your gifts are. It's not the great suggestion. And this mission reminds us that Jesus gave his people a purpose that's rooted in his promises. It's rooted in what he's done, and it's rooted in what he's doing. And he calls us to join him in the work that he's doing. And that mission will constantly and always ask us the very simple and fundamental question Are we about what Jesus is about? Are we about his mission? Or are we really about our own? So, what is it? And what does it mean for a church to be successful? I think we're only successful as a church to the degree that we are faithful to the mission that Christ gave us in our time and in our place. And God giving his people a mission is not just a New Testament idea. God has always invited his people to join him in the work that he is doing and to see it as central to the very purpose of their existence last week in this series, we moved into the book of Joshua. And today we move into the book of Judges. And that may seem pretty fast to cover two books, so let's just try and simplify it. What unifies both of these books together is that they're both about the mission that God gave his people. And their eventual failure to engage in that mission. And Judges is the story of that failure. How new priorities became more important than God's priorities. It's the story of what happens when God's people don't take God's mission seriously. And to understand Israel's failure, we have to see it in its broader context. So take a walk with me for a second. Let's remember back to last week when we walked with Joshua up to the top of that hill on the edge of the promised land as he overlooked Jericho. Moses had just died. Joshua had assumed leadership of Israel. And now they're on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, finally, they're in Canaan, the promised land, after all of these years. But they hadn't arrived yet in its fullest sense. Because now they had just entered into a new phase of God's plans and purposes for them to drive out the Canaanites and take full possession of the land. And I imagine that as as he stood on that hill overlooking Jericho and all of Canaan behind it, that Joshua knew that the rest of his life would be given to this work. Because this was no small mission, and he knew it. Joshua knew that he stood at a crossroads. A turning point. Where he was thinking about this unknown future that lied ahead. But also remembering the past and the promises that God had made to him. The promises that God came to Joshua and said, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's your turn now. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And all the inhabitants of Canaan I have given into your hand. I have given you all power and authority. So lead the people according to all that I have commanded you. Be strong, be courageous, because I will be with you wherever you go. And I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Those are extraordinary promises. And they should also sound familiar. Because it was the great commission of the Old Testament. When God officially sent his people on mission and invited them into this work that he was doing. And on that hill, that day, Joshua went up by himself, but he was not alone. He met the divine warrior. The commander of the armies of the Lord, who appeared to him, pointed to Jericho, And said the time had come. And the rest of the book of Joshua tells how God stayed true to those promises. 31 kings stood before Joshua. And 31 kings fell. God was with Joshua all the days of his life as he led them in victory after victory after victory. Over king after king after king. And at the end of his life, Joshua... Divided up the land. And he gave each of the tribes of Israel a portion of Canaan as their inheritance. Just as God had promised. But then he gathered all of the elders of Israel together and he gave them his final words. He told those elders to remember all that God had done. And to lay hold of God's promises by laying hold of the mission that he gave them. Because even though Joshua was so unbelievably successful and unstoppable, the work was not yet done. They weren't finished. There was still so much to do to drive out the Canaanites from the land and take full possession of it. And so he tells these elders that they now stood at a crossroads. Now it was their turn too, to remember all that God had done in the past and continue the mission that he gave them in the future. And then Joshua gathered all the people together and reminded them of their story, and he reminded them of who they really were. He told them of all that God had done, going all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He reminded them of all that God had done in Egypt and how God brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land and mowed down king after king after king before them. Because he'd made promises to them. But the work wasn't over. They two stood at a crossroads. They had to remember all that God had done in the past. And they had to continue the mission that God gave them into the future. And it was then that Joshua gave his last words in this famous final ultimatum. He says, now it's your turn. So choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the book of Judges begins with Joshua's death. But if you notice, the Lord does not replace Joshua with a new leader. Because now the people are sent out into the land that each of them were given. Because each of them were to be faithful to God's mission in their time and in their place and drive out the remaining Canaanites in their land. And Judges actually, for being such a tragic story, actually starts off on a high note because the tribe of Judah, the descendants of Moses and the descendants of Joseph, were all faithful in mission. They went to war and they drove out the Canaanites and the Lord was with them. But not the other tribes. After Joshua died, the rest of the tribes fell apart. And Israel sank into a downward spiral of spiritual and moral decay. And Judges 2 reads like a State of the Union address. It explains to us and shows us what this downward spiral looked like. It would start by the people rebelling, and then God would allow the Canaanites to oppress them. And then the people would cry out. And then God would raise up a judge from among Israel to rescue and redeem the people from their oppressors. But then after that, the people didn't turn back to God. They didn't listen to the judge. And they fell into an even deeper rebellion than they did before. And then the cycle would start all over again, And that downward spiral continued for 400 years. And the promised land had become a wasteland. But Judges 2 also tells us how this downward spiral began. It began when Israel laid aside the mission that God had given them. When Joshua died... That generation went home, and they laid aside God's mission. And when they did, the dominoes started to fall one after the other, and everything fell apart. And the first question we should ask probably is, why? Why did they lay it aside? They had just seen so much success under Joshua. So what would make them just lay aside the mission of God so quickly? Probably for the same reasons we do. Comfort. Nothing. Sandbags are resolved to engage in God's mission like the smothering weight of comfort. Because you have to remember, Joshua divided up the promised land among the people. And he sent them home to their inheritance, to carry out the mission in their time and in their place, but they never did. They laid it aside, because they probably thought, you know, finally I have my own land and my own home. Now I finally have my four bed, three bath in the suburbs of Canaan. Now I have what I really want. And really, haven't we already conquered this place enough is there really that much work that's left to do sure there's a few Canaanites here and there but we have otherwise conquered this place so now I'll just show up for worship on the Sabbath and I'll give my tithes but my real mission is my home my career my comforts and the future that I want for myself that's my mission and do you hear it it's the fall all over again God offered the people life and blessing and purpose on his terms. Yet once again, the people traded away for life on their own terms. Do we really think all that differently? If we were honest with ourselves, do we think any differently than they did? Because do we not do the same thing? We can lay aside God's mission in our time and in our place because we look around and we think this is rock wall. Look at all these churches. Almost everyone I know has a church that they go to. So what's left to do? Christianity has already conquered here. So all that's left is just finding a church that fits my preferences and priorities and particularities. And I am otherwise free to build the life that I want for myself because where I live, the mission is complete and it no longer applies. We lay it aside for the same reasons they do. And Judges 2 is a warning of what happens when we do. Because in verse 10, it says that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. They did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Do you see what happened? And do you see how quickly everything fell apart? That in just two generations after Joshua, they no longer knew the Lord or anything that He had done. Why? It's because when they laid aside God's mission... They stopped telling the stories. The parents stopped telling their children the stories of all that God had done. They stopped telling them the stories of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. They stopped telling the stories of God's power in Egypt. His preservation in the wilderness. His power at the Red Sea. They stopped telling their children the stories of who they were. They stopped telling their children the stories of God's promises and the purposes that he has for his people. So whenever they laid mission aside, so were the stories upon which that mission was built. They stopped telling them because they no longer had a need for them. Because they lived as though they had otherwise arrived. And what was the result? The children grew up not knowing who they really were. They grew up without any sense of their divine purpose or the hope of God's promises to them. They grew up without any sense of their true identity because they grew up not being told the very stories that defined it. And if you think in this series for a second and we step back, just consider all the stories that we have covered so far in this series. What are they? They're the very stories that these parents stop telling their children. And have these just been little sweet stories? No. These stories are not about five steps for successful living. They're not stories about becoming the best version of yourself or stories about your own personal, spiritual empowerment and enrichment. No, these stories are far more than that. These stories... Are what shape our identity because they reveal who God is, what God is like, what God has done, and how God has claimed us for Himself. These stories are what give our lives meaning and purpose because they reveal God's purposes. These stories offer hope because they tell us the stories of how God has made promises to us and the power that He exercises to bring those promises to pass. They're the stories of the God who is for us. And there is power in these stories because they tell of how God has entered into this world in time and in space to bring life. And apart from them, how else would you ever find Him? It's why God commanded Israel, you will tell your children of who I am and what I have done. Because there are power in these stories. And those stories would have put these children to the same ultimatum that these parents had been given. They would have said to their kids, remember all that God has done for us. He's called you. He's claimed you for himself. So choose this day whom you will serve. But they never did. When they laid aside God's mission, they stopped telling the stories. And so their children grew up without any sense of their divinely given identity. They didn't know who they really were. They didn't know what they were called to do because they didn't know their God. And they were lost. But these children still searched for identity and purpose. Their children still looked for a story to understand who they were and why they existed. Because if you look a little bit deeper, when the parents stopped telling their children these stories, what happened? Well, their children started living by different stories. It says in verse 11 that the people did evil on the side of the Lord. And they started worshiping the gods of the Canaanites called Baal and Ashtaroth. So they started living by the stories and identity offered by these gods instead. Because Israel didn't drive out the Canaanites and instead chose to live among the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were a polytheistic people. And polytheistic cultures often believe that each of their gods has a power over a certain aspect of life. But they also believe that each god has a power over over a particular and certain geography or region. And you might think that's just an old ancient idea, but it's not. We experience this all the time in India. The converts in the deep forest will constantly hear the criticism from those around them that say, you actually can't be a Christian. You say you're a Christian, but you're really not. Why? Because Jesus is a Western God. He's not an Indian God. He has no power here. Our gods are Bapana Matali and Vankateshvara and Hanuman and Shiva and Kali. These are the gods who have power here. It's the story of these gods that define our life and define our existence. And the same was true of Israel. Their children were told stories of the gods who had power in their region and held sway over their lives. They were told of Baal and Ashtaroth. They were told how Baal was the storm god who provided the rains and the harvests and the abundance and provision for them. They were told of Ashtaroth, who was the goddess of fertility and love and new life and family. And when Israel settled into their new homeland, they became an agrarian people. And when you're an agrarian people, your life comes down to having rain rain and harvest. And your life as an agrarian people comes down to wanting the blessing of children so that you have something to pass on your inheritance to and something to make the family strong. And so when their children wanted these things, who was it that their children turned to? They turned to the gods that they were told about. They turned to Baal for the rains, for abundance, and provision. And yet, what stories did they really need to hear? They needed the story of the God who created all things by the word of his power and rules the heavens above and the earth below. They needed the story of the true storm God who flooded the earth. They needed the story of the God who wiped the floor with every God of Egypt and bankrupted their entire pantheon by showing his power over every arena that they claimed to have power. They needed the stories of the God who made it literally rain bread every day for 40 years in the desert when there was no rain. And the children turned to Ashtaroth for fertility and children and new life. And yet what stories did they really need to hear? They needed the story of the God who promised to make his people a multitude from the very beginning. When God enters into history to begin his plan of redemption with Abraham, what's the first thing he promises him? Babies. He is the God of fertility. They needed the story of the God who brought life from Sarah's dead womb. They needed the stories of the God who promised Israel in the wilderness. He said, if you listen to my voice, your mothers will not miscarry and your women will not go barren. I'm going to fill your homes with life. Yes, crazy, chaotic, mess-making life that doesn't listen to you very well, but I'm going to enter into your home and fill it with life because I am your God and I am good. These are the stories that they needed. Stories of God's power and promises that would shape their identity and make sense of life. But they were never told these stories. So these children ended up living by different ones. And the cycle began. And the downward spiral would continue for 400 years. The story of Joshua and Judges is the tragic story of what happens when God's people lay aside his mission. And all the heartbreaking loss that happens when they do. They were to be a people of life, but in the end, they were just lost. They were to be a people that saw divine power, yet they were constantly powerless before their enemies. And God sent judge after judge after judge after judge to rescue them and to draw their hearts back to him. But every time they turned away. They didn't want to really live by his voice, they didn't want to trust his promises, and they didn't want to lay hold of his purposes. The story teaches us how the mission of God is central to who we are, and it really confronts us all with that great ultimatum, choose this day whom you will serve. Because it's a story that reminds us that we are a people of mission. Because it points us to the last and final judge that God sent to deliver his people. It points us to Jesus who rescued us by conquering the enemies of Satan and sin and death and delivered his people. It points us to Jesus, the commander of the armies of the Lord, who met his people on the top of a hill and he sent them on mission. It's in the Great Commission that we hear the echoes and the fulfillment of this very story where Christ says, Now all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So go into all of the world and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Now the time has come for you to join me in my mission, as the last chapter of this epic story unfolds. In Christ, God has revealed His purposes. And He asks you, what are yours? Choose this day whom you will serve. And all the stories of what God has done, all of His promises, and all of His purposes are bound up in the mission that He's given to us. It's how we take Jesus seriously. This mission is how we live by his voice. It tells us to teach his words and to tell all that God has done to our children, to our neighbors, and to the nations. And it always reminds us that we are a people of divine power, divine promise, and divine purpose. And that's easy to forget when you live in such a chaotic world. As we close this morning, I want... I want to use this passage to set the stage for the future at Rockwell Press and what we will be about. I know that we live in chaotic, turbulent, rapidly changing times, and I know that we all feel it. We all feel it each and every day. We feel the despair of what will happen to us, what will happen around us. We feel the despair of what world awaits our children. But let us remember what is unchanging before we allow all that is changing to rob us of resolve and lead us to despair. Why? Because we know the stories. So I do not know what will happen in our country. But I know that we have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't know who our leaders will be, but I know that we have a resurrected king that sits enthroned above the heavens, who removes kings and sets up kings and does what he wants on the earth and no one can stop him. And before him, all the nations of the earth are like dust on the pan of a scale. Let us not live as though we are not powerless before all of that and forget that the commander of the armies of the Lord is with us He is for us, and he has sent us, and he was not unaware of the world that he was sending us into. So let us put a stake in the ground together this morning as we look to that uncertain future and say that we will be about the mission of God for the glory of Christ and the life of the world. It's been almost three years since we've last been to India, because of COVID. If you're new to Rockwall Prez, we have a story to tell. It's an incredible story of God's power and faithfulness to us. In 2011, we wanted to be a church that began to deeply invest in missions. We started to ask questions like, if we closed, if Rockwell Prez closed her doors, would anyone outside this church notice? Is our impact in this world so small that no one would know if those doors were locked for the last time? And so we said, no, we want to commit ourselves to a people and to a place and be so sacrificially invested for their good And for the glory of Christ, that they would suffer if Rockwell Prez ever did close her doors. We wanted mission to be at the heart of this church. And we wanted to pass that down to the generations, to our children, so that they would see the glory of God among them. Funny thing is, we didn't know where. All we had was desire, but we didn't have a destination. And what do you know? God introduced this church, the slums of Kolkata, to the deep forest of Rajamundry, and when He did, this church was simply changed forever. And I do not have the time to tell you of all that God has done. In one year, the first year we tried to raise money, we tried to raise thirty thousand dollars. We were like. 80 people. $62,000 came in that year. God doubled the goals that we had that year. The next year we're like, okay, let's see what happens. Let's go 85,000. He brought in 100. Every goal we've set, God has given more. We wanted generational relationships, and our children have gone, and our children have been changed. At one point in time, a third of our church had gone to India a third of our church. And in one year, we saw God bring in enough money. It was the equivalent of a third of our overall operating budget that year. Every goal we've had, God has given more. And then COVID comes along. So are we going to allow the challenges and circumstances of these last few years to just turn all of that into a memory? My friends, this November, we are going back to India. And in the coming weeks, we will open up the trip to you. And we're going to invite you to come and see for yourself. Because God has opened the door for us once again. And it is time to reclaim the mission that God has given to us. Because we stand at a crossroads. And as we look at this unknown future before us, let us remember all that God has done in the past and say, What else might God do? How else might he display his power? Let us join him once again in the mission that he's given to us. Why? Because the work is not done. And let us not be surprised when God moves in mighty ways, when God's people devote themselves to his mission. This passage also teaches us that if we want to be a people, a church on mission with Christ, then we have to recognize that our children are at the very heart of that mission. We cannot be satisfied or give ourselves a pat on the back if we offer Jesus halfway around the world, but we don't offer him in our homes. Our children need Jesus. We are a covenantal church. You know what that means? That means we believe our children are the mission. It means we believe that Jesus is, has purposes and promises for them. They are also our mission field. And doing that means that we have to recognize the times in which we live. We are living out this story of Judges too, because so much is crumbling around us. And we stand at a crossroads, my friends. This week at the General Assembly in Birmingham, which is our denomination's annual meeting, The first night, our stated clerk stood up, and he said that in the United States, only 14% of 18 to 34-year-olds are in church on any given Sunday. 14%. He said 80% of kids raised in church are now completely disengaged by the time they reach 29 years old. What do you think that means? It means this. It means our future. If we take the mission of God seriously, then our future will be one where we will re-evangelize a culture that we've otherwise always thought was Christian. And there is so much crumbling around us and do not those statistics make you have to ask where will our future leaders be where will the leaders for christ church be where will be the resources and the voices that will proclaim christ to the world and that challenges us to begin as a church to think long term about our kids and not just think short term we can't just think about success as simply being how many kids are here on a sunday morning no, we have to think long-term and think about how many of our kids are still in church when they're 30. Because there's a lot of bales and a lot of Ashtoreths in this world. Offering all sorts of stories and identities and purposes and blessings. And we have to tell them the stories. We have to tell them who their God is, what their God has done, what their God is doing, and what promises their God has made to them. We have to want them to know the identity that comes from knowing that they are his body and soul and to know that they are claimed with divine purpose. To know that there's a place for them. There's a purpose for them. There's promises for them because there's a God who's for them. But we have to do that together as a church. Devoted to the mission of God in our time and in our place. As a people that are devoted and united to the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. And in the coming year, we are going to invest in our children and prioritize them in ways that we never have before. And we are going to challenge you to join us in that work in ways that we never have before either. Because friends, we stand at a crossroads and the work is not done. And all week I kept thinking about this generation in the story and the generations after them that missed out when they laid aside God's mission. When Joshua died, they could have looked back and remembered the stories of what God had done. And then looked forward into the future thinking, well, what else might God do? How else might God show his power to us? But they never did. They never did. They laid aside the mission. And when they did, they lost everything with it. And they missed out. And you just think to yourself, what other Jerichos could they have seen? What other awesome displays of God's power did they miss out on and never know? What joy of participation and power did they never experience or feel? Because they let go of the mission that God had given to them. So this morning, let's walk to the top of that hill together. Let's stare at this crossroads that lies before us. Let's look to that uncertain future by remembering all that God has done done among us. He's preserved us in these last few years. He grew us during COVID. He's blessed us and given us abundance as other churches have sadly closed their doors. He raised over half a million dollars for India since 2011. And he has met us on the other side of the world, and he has met us here. He's baptized our kids. He's brought us new converts. So what else might we see? How else might God reveal his power and his glory among us? And what will be true of Rockwell Prez at the end of all things? All that comes down to how we answer that great ultimatum before us. Choose this day whom you will serve. For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray.